Good day and welcome to the Outer Twilight Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4. title for today's podcast is Criticism. And no, Andrew and I are not going to be taking pot shots at one another. We are going to be talking about what is criticism. <laughs> it's a whole episode of low-hanging <laughs> yeah. fruit. Yeah, anyway. yeah, as we get older, our fruit <laughs> is hanging lower and lower. But... <clears throat> <laughs> No, so anyway, what, yes. what we want to talk about is we want to talk about, well, essentially what is criticism and, and looking at that. And I think that the lines the lines have been blurred, the, the definition, the understanding, certainly the understanding of criticism as it relates to media has changed uh, over the years. And I think with the advent of YouTube and more people having access to getting their words out there, I think that, um, mm-hmm. criticism has changed. And so we want to spend a little bit of time talking about that and kind of understanding, cause I know that I struggle with this and I know that you, Andrew have a lot of thoughts on this. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I think, and I mean, just for the, you know, for the purposes of the podcast, we're going to mostly focus on film criticism, but we're talking about criticism itself, not specifically film. So we're just using film as kind of the focus of analogies and things like that to make it a little easier to understand. Um, <clears throat> I think the thing that it sticks out to me the most is that, um, like, criticism to me is a legitimate art form in the sense that it actually takes skill to be a good critic. Like um, it's not just, this is good. This sucks. That that's not all there is to it. Right. And so I think that a lot of what's been lost is the idea that opinion is the same as criticism, but, but it's not, does that make well, sense? Well, yeah. So why don't we start? So I want to start for, even for my own peace of mind here, with a little bit of a definition of criticism. And so I've got a I've got my dictionary here. And so it defines it as the analysis and judgment of the merits and faults of a literary or artistic work. And I thought that was a good definition. Like I remember taking literary criticism in university and really not enjoying literary criticism. Um but I know when we look at the reality, the world that we're in right now, you know, there are the, the, the critics that we grew up with. And I know you're going to talk about those, but now we're seeing like where, yeah, everybody has a voice and where there's this blurring between a review and like legitimate criticism and as well as, you know, these webs, not wet well, websites as well, but YouTube channels that literally make a career, make a living off of um, different pieces of media and talking about it. And sometimes talking about it as fanboys, um, you know, to use that term, but almost fans like, and, and that's where, like, I want to talk about that later. Um, but like for right now, let's really just dig into the criticism and what criticism, like the art form of criticism is. So why don't, yeah, no, I was going to say, well, why don't you start with like, you know, giving us some context of some critics that maybe 
in film that we would all maybe recognize some names. Right. So these, these are sort of, uh, all of these critics are from a time when watching, uh, at the movies on Saturday afternoons or reading your local newspaper might be the, where you would know these names from, but most people know Roger Ebert who passed away a few years ago. Uh, he is kind of the tippy top of movie of cinematic, uh, criti- uh criticism. Um, he was always very good at understanding what kind of movie he was going into, um, and weighing it against itself rather than, you know, sort of having some lofty idea of what a good or a bad movie is. Uh, Leonard Maltin, um, he's kind of like the, the Mr. Rogers critic. I always kind of think like, he's a great critic. Uh, he's just, he's always very nice. Um, and I appreciate his criticism because he's very, um, he tends to be really generous, but at the same time, he has some really good thoughts. And yeah, Gene Siskel, who's also gone now, of course, Siskel and Ebert was the, the they were the reviewing pair uh, through the 80s and, and into the 90s. Gene Siskel has been gone a very long time now. Um, Gene Shalit, who you might remember him the most, he almost looked like a caricature himself. Like he had the big, thick glasses and he had like a, a fro and a big bushy mustache. Uh, he was kind of the one where the trope of uh, movie critics using puns um, for the title of their reviews and things kind of came from. And then Richard Roper, who was uh, Ebert's partner when their show went off the air. Um, Roper currently writes for uh Chicago newspaper is a fantastic critic as well. I didn't like him at first, but he's really grown. Um, so what makes these guys known though, is the fact that they're all steeped in movies. They love movies. That's the big thing, right? Is that any critic of any topic should love what they are critiquing. They should have tons of experience watching films, participating even sometimes Roger Ebert rather famously wrote <laughs> the script for Valley of the Dolls, which is not a good movie that just goes to show you that that goes to show you that sometimes critiquing movies is maybe a better, a different talent um, than, than writing them. But these guys really appreciate those types of, of, uh, well, they like the movie going experience and they want us to have a good time in a movie going experience. Sometimes, you know, like in the eighties, when there was a lot of schlock around, they tended to be overly critical. Gene Siskel in particular, was very almost puritanical uh, about his movie preferences, but these guys all put a lot of work and effort into their careers. It was their career. It was their, it was more than just a job. It was their whole life. Um, yeah, like, yeah. It, it was so an academic that, that's kind pursuit, of where right? we're coming from. When, you know, it was it was an academic pursuit. Yes, it wasn't absolutely. just uh, like yeah, they loved, they had a passion <clears> for it, but <throat> it was something that they studied. It was something that they understood. Like they understood why things were done, why a director would do things, why a screenwriter would do things in a script, what they were generally trying to portray, and so then they could con- con- critique those those efforts and. And I think like you mentioned, like Leonard Maltin was, is, is a historian for movies, right? So like his, his reviews Mm -hmm. would bring up, you know, numerous examples of, you know, certain things that have been done. And, you know, sometimes that critique might be, okay, this has been done to death or this has been done much better. Um, But it's more than just, you know, there's the passion, but there's also that, I, I use the term academic, but academic depth to what they're doing. Um, 
that sets it mm-hmm. apart. Yeah, and so it's not just about liking or not liking something. Uh, it's about having something intelligent to say about whatever you are critiquing. So a couple of examples. Um, I, I have a, a Facebook friend uh, by the name of Greg who does a podcast on the Alberta Podcast Network called I Have Some Notes. And what I really love about these guys is they will take a movie that's generally considered not great, right? And they will talk about what's good about it, what's bad about it, and then they'll kind of give it a rewrite, which is a creative way to do criticism to me in the sense that you're kind of, you know, you are trying to fix the film, which becomes criticism in a sense. Uh, Another one is, uh, although uh, this one, uh, the pitch meetings that uh, Ryan George Mm -hmm. does on YouTube, his channel, um, you know, pitch meetings where it's essentially criticism in the guise of satire or parody, right? So he's, you know, the, the setup is that it's a movie, he's pitching the script and manages to point out kind of a lot of the holes that are in the script. Um, and where uh, Honest Trailers is another similar channel is that like that on YouTube. Um, but they are pretty careful that if a movie's really good, they don't just slam it. They actually are trying to find sort of that they're poking fun while at the same time being thoughtful so about like, it. I was just said that. So like, so that's different than like cinema sins where, um, you know, they're just trying to get the sound bite and whether the movie's good, whether the movie's bad, they're just poking at everything where like Ryan George, I know uh, interviews with him. He, he researches, like in depth to find out what the critics are saying and what the reviewers are saying and kind of, you know, aggregating. Right. And I mean, I think it's important to point these out because it, criticism doesn't have to just be dull. When we say the term academic, a lot of times people go, Oh, snooze fest. Right. You know, so um, uh, criticism can come in, in a lot of different forms. It doesn't have to be sort of austere, uh, you know, Roger Ebert and, and some of those guys, they all had TV shows uh, and, it was a lot about having a discussion. Siskel and Eber particularly was great because they didn't agree. They rather notoriously didn't didn't agree. Um, they even were written as sort of parody characters in uh, the Godzilla, 1990s Godzilla movie, um, sort of pandering to the two of them. But they rather famously didn't get along all the time on the movies that they liked and disliked. Um, and so they provided their own sort of form of entertainment that way. And, and so... I think it's important that when we're talking criticism, we're not saying it has to be sort of uh, clean it, 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 or, or uh, mm. you know, well-spoken. It has to be well-thought, though. Um, and it requires knowledge on a subject matter. A, a movie critic isn't a book critic. A book, critis- book critic isn't a music critic. Um, having a deep love and appreciation for the art form is really, really important. The same, and, and I think some of what we, we're, you know, we're seeing is there's sort of crossover now. So, like for example, comic books have always been open to criticism as well, but now that comic book movies are becoming prominent, we're seeing a bit of dissonance between comic book fans and movie fans, uh, where. There's, you know, well, why didn't Mar- why didn't the Marvel movie reflect this aspect of the book? And it's like, well, because they're two totally different things. Or you get guys like Martin Scorsese and rather oddly Quentin Tarantino that are criticizing superhero movies for not being cinematic enough. And and so there's there's a bit of a, a problem there with not really understanding the 
both mediums as they are present in in that case. Um, and, and criticism, because it's an art form and because the people who are critics, uh, you know, this is their life, their integrity is a vital part of their criticism. Criticism is subjective. I mean, it isn't straight up opinion because you're drawing on expertise, but it is subjective in the sense that, you know, I didn't always agree with those critics when I would read a review, but I respected what they were doing. And they don't, as a, a critic, doesn't expect everyone to agree with you. That That's not their job. Their job is to be subject, uh, subjective and say, this is what I see. This is what I perceive. And they are starting a, a discussion about it. So what's come about lately um, and I don't, you've, I'm sure seen this too, Mike, is the, the idea that if a movie is rated well, then there's, you know, well, critics must be getting paid off. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, a, and the idea that's, that's really faulty there is you're talking about people who their livelihood, their job is to give a subjective opinion. So they're not actually paid to agree or disagree with anyone. They're paid by their employer to give their opinion. They, the insinuation that they would all be taking bribes from, you know, mega companies like Disney or Warner brothers that compromises their integrity. And that would be mean that like all of them are putting their livelihood at risk so to me, that seems not only unlikely, that seems ridiculous. I mean, yes, there might be a few bad apples, but to me, that would be the exception, not the rule. Well, I think the reality is, is that we see in our society so often is that if somebody disagrees with me, so if I have a passion for a certain thing, it means, okay, so for example, we'll use the superhero mm -hmm. Um, just because we dwell in there. So like, if you're a super DC fan, there's almost this expectation that then the Marvel stuff has to be bad, mm. you know, and vice versa. And so then if a Marvel movie is being well reviewed, that super DC fan, and I'm using air quotes that nobody can see, but <laughs> that super DC fan believes that, yeah, they have to be all getting paid off. And <clears throat> And I think that's part of it. I think part of it also is, again, um, where we bump into that, the YouTube channels that make their living off of talking about different media. And so, like, for example, if um, a channel is always reviewing the Marvel stuff and then they start getting exclusive access to the Marvel stuff, you know, I think there's some insinuation and some wonder, and I don't know if maybe there's a reality that they – become almost compromised that their access is, you know, as a small YouTuber is dependent upon being positive and pushing traffic towards, you know, that particular, um, you know, studio, that particular, whatever it is that they're reviewing. And, and I think like with YouTube that, that blurs it again, mm -hmm. but the critics that you're talking about, that like they're paid by the newspaper or the TV show that they have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and yeah, where their integrity is, is central to them being taken seriously. And I think that's what made Siskel and Ebert so good was that they disagreed, mm -hmm. 
the same way that, you know, you and I see a movie, we could see it totally different. You know, you might love it. I might hate it. And we have our reasons for it. Mm -hmm. And I think what kind of sets the critic, like the artistic critic apart from the reviewer is that they back it up, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, you know, so you get into, okay, what's a good critic and what's a bad critic. And for me, like that first, most important for a good critic is they back up their opinion with reasons and examples and you know they really they help you to understand why they see it that way Mm -hmm. and i think too that it's important that like as a as a listener or a reader of criticism to recognize is the difference between being critical and being a critic like we're all capable Mm -hmm. of being critical um but for most readers of you know reviews and of reviews and critic and critics, we're not we aren't those. That's not our job. That's not our livelihood. That's not so we can say whatever we want, and it can be as outlandish as we would you know as we feel it is in our own opinion. But that type of being critical, my opinion is not riding on my integrity. Like I'm, you know, a critic is w- not just wanting this movie to be good. A critic has a reputation based on an entire career, depending how long they've been in it. You know, Leonard Malton at this point has seen thousands of films <laughs> and he knows them uh, and he knows what he's seen. And so when you get a guy like that, he's, he is a critic. That's what he does. He isn't just critical. And a lot of when we mm-hmm. see YouTube channels that take a particular bent, it's great. There's nothing wrong with a Marvel fan enjoying Marvel movies, getting access to Marvel things. But I don't go there expecting critic. Like I don't I don't go there expecting reviews and I don't go there necessarily expecting criticism. I go there expecting to find fellow fans enjoying the subject matter. It's where it gets blurry is when a person takes it upon themselves to say or or to express that they are a critic and that their opinion is valuable and valid when they have such a really narrow scope. Like if they're not, you know, someone who loves film overall and they just love these films, they're going to be at a, at a mm-hmm. disadvantage and their opinion may not be as informed as we'd like. Um, but the, and here's the thing: they might be a really fabulous comic book critic and love those storylines, but they won't be good at movies as a whole, or even Marvel movies or DC movies or what comic book movies. They may not really understand the ins and outs of filmmaking or storytelling from that perspective. So, well, and I think a little bit of what you're getting at is there is a there's a huge difference between being you know critiquing what is presented in a film versus critiquing what you wanted to see in a film and didn't get yes yeah so so if we're talking about a difference between good and bad criticism to me good criticism is a reflection of what was the content of the film and like i said this is a you know same with book Music, same thing. You're, you're critiquing what's there, not, and this is the flip side, the bad part of criticism is when you're saying, here's what I would have done. That is not criticism. 
That's a totally different thing. Criticism is saying, this is what was up on the screen. This is what I appreciated. This is what I didn't appreciate it. If a movie sort of fails outright, which for actual critics is pretty rare that a movie would just be complete, completely irredeemable. Those critics aren't going, if I had made this film, this is what it would have been like. Um, which is what I think we see a lot when we see discussions on YouTube channels and, and social media uh, you know, uh, comments, for example, on, um, you know, threads from, you know, say Rotten Tomatoes or something like that, where people are saying, you know, I didn't like it. They should have done this. Well, they could have done a million things. That's not actually a really valid criticism because that's not what they did. What did you think of what they did other than just, well, I didn't like it because it wasn't this storyline that I liked from yada, yada, yada. Yeah, or, or they, they go into the theater with a preconceived idea of what it is that they want to see or a preconceived idea of what it is that they're going to mm-hmm. see. And if they they don't get delivered what it was they were expecting, they don't allow themselves to enjoy it. And, and you know, I would use the example of something like The Last Jedi. Mm. It was different than the Star Wars movies before it. And because it was different, because it had a different tone, because it had a different way of presenting, you know, there were so many fans and, you know, uh, reviewers, I'm going to use reviewers rather than critics um, in this context, who didn't like the movie because it wasn't the movie that they wanted. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the movie that they were expecting. But if, you know, if you can step back and you can look at it as, okay, but what was, you know, Ryan Johnson trying to say? What was he trying to present in it? Um, and evaluate it based on that. That's a totally different discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, yeah, I think that one of the components of The Last Jedi is too, is that you have a filmmaker who does have a good reputation and knows what he's doing in Ryan Johnson. And I think... Star Wars is such a a complicated example because the criticism also immediate almost immediately goes to the nature of the entire Star Wars universe and mm-hmm. what it's saying about what a film is saying about the entire universe and it doesn't necessarily look at uh, look at what the movie itself offers like I mean one of the main criticisms of of last jedi which i think is a great example of this kind of you know sort of good versus bad criticism is the fact that when somebody says like the casino scene for example doesn't matter to the plot it doesn't the other star wars movies all have that kind of scene there 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 are lots of sort of side universe building scenes maybe not quite so long or hefty but they all have them um but it was sort of like people started looking for things to, oh, and this, oh, and then there was this thing. Oh, and I didn't like this. Um, there was a lot of commentary about the rules of the force and what the force could and couldn't mm. do. And yet nobody in the filmmaking aspect of things has said this couldn't be done. Leia, you know, is a Jedi. She goes out into space. People are going, oh, sure. She just manages to make her way. But like the force can do that. How do you know what the force can do? You know, from a critical perspective, who is making these rules that you are saying is a critical failure? 
Um, another example, kind of on the opposite side of things, you know, I mentioned Martin Scorsese talking about, you know, Marvel films. And I, I think that his perspective is kind of ironic, you know, like he's being critical. He's telling, you know, he's saying, oh, Marvel movies are, you know, they're, they're all kind of the same. And it's like anybody watching, if you've seen a few Martin Scorsese movies, um, besides just the fact that they're long, which isn't a bad thing. He's a good storyteller, but five or 10 minutes into a Scorsese film, if you didn't know what you were watching, if you just sat down and said, we're going to show you a movie and, you know, tell us what you think five to 10 minutes into a Scorsese movie, you're going to know exactly that it's a Scorsese film or somebody trying to copy him because he has, you know, quick dialogue. He has fast cuts. He has a very specific way of directing films. And so to be critical of another group of films for feeling all the same is somewhat, in my opinion, hypocritical. Yes, it's a style that's attached to him. But if you're critic, you know, if you're being critical that these are all the same, well, sorry, dude, but your movies kind of all follow a particular vein as well. Right. Um, so you can have a filmmaker who's revered like Scorsese makes great films. Is he a good critic? I don't know that I would see him that way, but yeah. Well, and, and again, it comes back to the, you know, if, if he's even watching these movies right. <laughs> and we don't know that he's no. actually even watching these movies and probably maybe not, you know, he just sees what people say about it or what they are and doesn't like it. Um, but it's, you know, that, that preconceived idea of what it is when you walk into a theater as opposed to, you know, allowing the experience to happen because, you know, so for a Marvel fan, you, you compare what, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy was versus um, Captain America Winter Soldier. Mm. Um, you know, you have, you know, space stuff, adventure, space opera type stuff. You have spy and intrigue stuff. There, There is, yes, is there kind of a formula developing? Yeah. It's a formula that makes lots of money and keeps fans entertained. Uh, but it's also they're telling different genres within the superhero genre. They're not just trying to make right. all you know, the the same. They're all, not all space opera. They're not all just um, big fight bash type things. You know, yeah. like, you know, Shang-Chi was, was great because, you know, it started to get into the more like the martial arts type of movies and, and a, a different type of storytelling, you know, can no, not a different type of storytelling, but a different way of telling the story. Right. But I think one of the other problems that, and I think maybe this is what maybe like Tarantino and Scorsese are having a problem with. And that, you know, you mentioning that their style kind of, you know, you start watching it, you kind of know <laughs> who's putting this out is this move and what the MCU has done where this story that goes over many, many, many movies, even if the characters aren't connected, there's still a connective tissue because it's in the same world. Right. And it, it changes the experience because you go in, yeah, you go in with preconceived ideas, no matter what you do, if you've seen other Marvel movies, because, you know, like, okay, I see this with reviewers. I'm going to restate this. I see this with reviewers who, They'll watch something from Marvel and they're waiting to see how it sets up other movies. Right. And rather than just allowing 
the movie to be its own thing. Mm -hmm. Now, to be fair, you have something like Black Panther Wakanda Forever. If you took out the, you know, the the CIA stuff, like a lot of the stuff that happened in <laughs> that was non Wakanda, um, it doesn't really affect. You could tell the same story without that stuff, and it would lose that connective tissue, and probably be a stronger story. Um, so you know, so maybe there is some justification in that, but because like the first the first Black Panther movie didn't have that stuff, it just told its own story. Right. It was in the same universe, but it told its own story. So it's it, the lines are just so blurred with with everything. And then even like with the 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 average movie watcher doesn't understand the difference between a critic and a reviewer and you know and another fan. Right. Um, and and also too to go along with the, you know, you're supposed to be critiquing what's on screen. I think a lot of that too lately has been the fact that, you know, politics has gotten more and more prominent in conversation and people insert and it doesn't necessarily have to just be politics, but people will insert assumptions about relationships in a film or characters in a film and and things like that that have to do with a political agenda, which isn't necessarily the case. You know, the reality with, with, well, so Disney owns 33% of all visual entertainment. They, they, they own that much of a market share. They are in it at, along with other movie companies. They aren't in it for a political agenda. I don't know who is, who, who decided that this was the case. They're a business. They're an American business. They're a capitalist business. They are in the industry to make money while entertaining people. Now, I know that people want to think that filmmaking isn't as soulless as that, and it's not for the actors and the filmmakers, but for the people that write the paychecks, they want the movies to make money. So if movies are formulaic, it's because that formula is working. Right. There's there's these things are working. So when people are making accusations and again, without proof, like you talked about, like, the, you know, they have information about other films, they've seen other things so they can, you know, they can inject this um, idea in there. But if it's just this is what I, I think that there's a political agenda at work here and you have no real evidence for that, no other thing other than a feeling, well, then that's not a critique. It's not a valid critique. Um, or or the movie saying something that you disagree with, and so it automatically has to have some bigger nefarious yeah. kind of reason for it, yeah. and 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 it's all politics, especially in um, I was going to say in the U.S., but really North America, Canada, and the U.S. is becoming so you know uh, divided on that that it's automatically if I if I disagree with it, it's the other side Do, that's they're trying doing to something in this case. Yeah. Like they think like thinking that Disney's trying to manipulate and, you know, and uh, do all these, no, they're just trying to make money. Like okay, even like, look at the new avatar movie. You know, we mentioned this in a previous podcast where um, there's a lot of money invested into that, you know, to the point where they gotta, they gotta make an awful lot of money just to break even their motivation is the money. Yeah. The, you know, Cameron wants to tell a story. The actors want to give a great performance and stuff like that. But the bottom line is the people who are writing the checks, they want to get their money back. 
And if they and if they don't get <laughs> their money gonna... back, they will make changes. Yes, absolutely. And then we don't see films like that. But you know, if it does work, then yeah, we're going to see more films like that. And some of them are going to be good, and some of them are going to be less good. Yep. And that's where the critic comes back comes in. Right. You know, for for people like us, you know, we're looking for somebody who maybe sees things the way that we do. So yeah, this the studio's in it to make money and it's it's I think the thing that there's another bigger aspect that's at play too in terms of criticism is the fact that I I need to feel validated by the criticism. And that actually our next episode is focused a lot on that, but it's a bit of a teaser that way, I guess, is the sense that I don't understand like you know, you and I have been friends for 30 years and I'm sure there's movies that we've both seen that you really like it and I didn't and vice versa, but we're still friends. And I don't think you're an idiot for liking any film. Doesn't matter what the movie is. It, it, it's if you liked it, that's fine. It doesn't make you dumb. And I feel like there's a lot of arrogance of, of uh, you know, people who would fancy themselves as, you know, armchair critics that are kind of saying, well, you know, my, you're, you can't, you're, you're very illiterate, obviously, if you like that film, you know, or you don't know the subject matter. And it's like, uh, yes, I do. I just have an equal intellectual, like, this is the thing is in terms of intellectual ability, you know, yes, there would be some differences in terms of like, you and I and anyone else and Roger Ebert and Leonard Maltz, they're all human beings and they're all capable of thinking and they're all capable of thinking critically. It's just, that's all they do. So their experience and their ability makes them a better critic. But assuming that a person who doesn't like something because you did, and when you did is intellectually inferior mm-hmm. is uh, it, it's a, an ad hominem, critique of the person it's not anything to do with the film right so okay um, so i want to ra- i want to wrap this up um for this episode because yeah. and you know we'll continue this with the next with next week but and i'm, and I'm going to go to music and this is a beef that i always have with mm-hmm. music is that those who are really knowledgeable okay no okay some who are really knowledgeable about music are incredible snobs about music and if you mm. like certain things you know, they, you know, you are, you know, if if they don't like the music, but you do like that music, well, they don't like you because you obviously don't know what you're talking about. You're not refined. Mm. You're not, like you said, intelligent type thing. I think of, um, I remember there's a radio personality, um, Dan Patrick, sports guy in the States, um, really Mm -hmm. big into music. And he did this one bit about, oh, the worst song ever made was Starships, uh, We Built This City. And I like that song. You know, I grew up with so that I. song. But, and, <laughs> My kids but, like that song. But, you know, and but he was saying that anybody who likes that song doesn't know music, doesn't understand music. But I think the thing that that ignores, and okay, this is bringing you back to film and stuff like that, is that sometimes you're in a stage of life or a circumstance in life where there's just certain things that you need. And we all have different needs. We all come from different places. And sometimes something can really speak to us. And that makes it valuable. You know, whether it's 
well done while it's poorly done, you know, so, so critics have a place to help guide you to that, you know, not all critics, but find the critic that works for you. And, but at the same time, like what you like, you know, critics are there to help us. They're a tool, but they're not the be all and end all. And at the end of the day that us as consumers, Consume what you like and what you love and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that you don't, just ignore it. Let somebody else enjoy it. Yeah. And I think, like, to, to give sort of a sense as to, like, I think, well, okay. So to build on what you're saying a little bit there, to me, the the definitive part of it is that there, on the part of any critic or person who wants to be a critic, there has to be humility, I mm-hmm. think to understand that when you are writing a perspective for a living, you're going to respect other people's perspectives. You may defend your own perspective strongly, but that doesn't mean you think you're right. It means that you feel that your perspective is stronger than the other person's, right? There's a difference there. And and so there's a humility with understanding your own limits. Um, I also wanted to use the example, like we kind of were texting over the weekend and talking about, I I texted you about Strange World, which is Disney's new animated film that bombed at the box office, right? So to give an insight, I guess, into how I would critically view that sort of situation. So I have not seen Strange World. I therefore have myself personally no valid opinion on its actual content. Maybe I would like it. Maybe I won't. But what I found interesting and has happened to me before is I do love Disney animated features and have seen all of them going back to Snow White several times. Um, Whether it's 3D animation, 2D animation, I appreciate their style of storytelling. You know, I have a, a deep love for a lot of their films. They're not all perfect. When the trailer for Strange World came out and I saw what it was, I didn't actually, like, I wasn't sure it was a Disney film until the, you know, Disney Presents, you know, Mm -hmm. part at the end. And it looked very generic, you know, the the strange world that they're in is kind of just blobby, like it doesn't really have any unique design. The, you know, there's a father and son dynamic in the trailer, you know, the father abandoned the son. And then of course they blow it in the trailer that the father gets found and things like that. And I'm going, man, this seems like it's retreading a lot of familiar territory. You know, there's themes from up in there. There's themes from all, like it's, there's pastiche from all over the place. And then even the animal sort of sidekick character in this is literally just a, a blue blob. And so when I saw the trailer, I was like, man, I don't think I'm going to see that in the theater. Now, why did I make that decision? Well, I made that decision because knowing, having seen a lot of other Disney movies, this one had probably not going to be great written all over it. And then over the weekend, it seems I wasn't alone that people on based on the marketing were like, that's that doesn't look good. Right. That is fair criticism. It's also a fair choice of what we're going to do with our dollars. However, I can't say the movie sucks because I don't know. Yeah. You, you can say the trailer sucks. Yeah. And the, the trailer didn't work for you and it didn't work for a lot of people because it didn't drive them there. Um, the movie, you know, you might see it 
you know, three years from now, you might go and you know, watch the movie on a streaming service because you got nothing better to do. And it might be like, huh, that really touched me. Or, or it could be like, okay, yeah, my initial impression from the trailer was pretty dead on. Um, you know, because retreading something, and I guess this is preconceived ideas, retreading an idea or themes or tropes isn't a bad thing if it's done well. If it's not done well, and that's where critics come in, because Avatar, there is not a whole lot that's new or original about that story. But it was the, and I've heard this from someone, it was the best version of that story that's ever been told. And it looked beautiful, you know, therefore it made billions of dollars. <laughs> All art has something to say. Criticism is the response to what we are saying. None of it's fact. It's meant to start a discussion, not end it. And if someone's taken the time to develop their opinion, then when we respond to that opinion, we should do so with intelligence instead of questioning their intelligence. If you're going to be a good critic, you want to be the, you know, you want to use your own intelligence, not belittle someone else's, I guess. Um, it's dumb or it's just stupid or that's dumb. That, that's not critique. That's, that's not criticism. That's well, crap <laughs> is what that is. <laughs> that's just your opinion. So, that's just like your opinion, man. Okay. Well, excellent. Um, so hopefully that helps a little bit with, you know, it helps with my understanding of, uh, criticism versus some of the other stuff and just the importance of it, but also the place that it has. It's not the be all and end all. Mm -hmm. Um, and with everything it's nuanced, there's different ways to look at it and understanding it and understanding criticism, not just what they're saying, but understanding criticism, what it it's for helps us to make better consumer choices. Um, when we have so much yes. to choose from right now, you know, you know, in a certain, certain respect, critics become even more important because they, maybe they help us waste less time, you know, and get to the stuff or mm -hmm. more importantly, and you know, maybe this is, should have been part of the discussion, help you find those hidden gems that you wouldn't have found otherwise that don't have the marketing that don't have, mm -hmm. but you know, you find a critic that, you know, sees things kind of like you do. And they tell you, this is an incredible movie that nobody has seen, go and see it. And it could be a movie that changes your life. Right. You know? So be open, yeah. have an open mind, um, find what you like, love it and leave the, the rest alone. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, Hopefully you liked and loved this and uh, we welcome all <laughs> criticism, but if you don't like it, keep it to yourself. And, uh, <laughs> but thank you for joining us and um, join us next week where we're going to continue to talk about criticism, but we're going to look more at uh, rotten tomatoes and kind of what YouTube and the internet has kind of done to a different aspect of criticism. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll see you then, Andrew. Absolutely.